your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. We're just trying to enjoy the summer, but we cannot avoid these off-season rumors. It is DJ Stewart. It is Tommy Beer. It is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WF and Original. We got so much to get to on this episode. We will be talking about the latest rumors regarding Joel Embiid. Another reporter saying that the Knicks are keeping an eye out on the league reigning MVP. So I asked Tommy about why the Knicks seem to be the team keep getting linked to Joel Embiid and what would a pairing with Embiid and Brunson be like in New York if that were to happen. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about game one of the NBA finals. Nuggets go up 1-0 in that series. So I asked Tommy why the Nuggets were able to get that done in game one and what adjustments Miami would have to do to make that a series. And we're celebrating this week in Knicks history and Boy, this started a little bit of a firestorm on social media because it was this day, yesterday, June 1st, that Reggie Miller had his spectacular Game 5 in the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals. The Pacers were the team that actually posted the uh, the anniversary of that game and had a lot of Knicks fans riled up. So we'll talk about that historic Game 5 in the 94 Eastern Conference Finals. So, so much to get to on this show. My guy, Tommy Beer, joining me as always. Tommy, how you feeling? Feeling good, feeling good. Uh, nice weather this weekend, and a yes. uh, little NBA Finals to talk about. Um, little, uh, and uh, we're going to carve out some time to puncture the myth of Reggie Miller as a clutch player. So <laughs> that's, that's always an enjoyable experience. So let's get into it. Yeah, I think Tommy's got a lot of fun that last segment. So again, this is uh, Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, an Odyssey WFEN original. It's a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcast. You can get it on the free Odyssey app or wherever you download your podcast. So make sure you check us out there. Also be sure on your streaming service to hit that auto download feature so you can get these episodes every time we drop. Also check us out on YouTube as well. You can find us on the WFN and Odyssey Sports Channel. You can watch not just segments of these episodes, but also the full episode in their entirety. So let's begin talking about Joel Embiid. Because here we are again. The Knicks reportedly have eyes for the league's reigning MVP, New comments coming from ESPN's Tim McMahon. Uh, Nick Brass is monitoring the fallout with the Sixers following their disappointing exit in the postseason in hopes that Joel Embiid will consider a change of scenery. Now, McMahon uh, said this on the Hoops Collective podcast. He said, quote, they looked at that situation in Philly and there's been a hope in New York that stuff in Philly will go haywire to the point where Embiid will ask out. So this is not the first time already this offseason the Knicks have been linked to Embiid. Bill Simmons uh, had made comments about the Knicks eyeing Embiid. Zach Lowe made comments about the Knicks possibly looking at Embiid as a team, uh, as a team maybe looking to, to pick him up if he indeed uh, wants out. So uh, this uh, Knicks-Embiid thing, Tommy, has not gone away yet. It ha- We kind of spurned up as soon as the Knicks lost, and now two weeks later we're back at it here, despite the fact that Philly's introducing a new coach uh, to their team yesterday in, in, in uh, Nick Nurse. Why do you feel like people keep linking the Knicks with Embiid? Yeah, listen, I think he's a great player, and there's the C the CBA combination, the uh, CAA combination, uh, you know, connection that makes a lot of sense. So I think it's only going to increase in in you know uh, the Knicks have been chasing a superstar. He's a superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of it makes sense. I I just think it's it it you know will it happen? Probably not. The likelihood of of a, a MVP getting traded is extremely unlikely. Um, only twice in history. 
Um, the, the Sixers have him under contract. Um, they basically have no reason to, to, to look to look to deal him. That being said, we've seen superstars say, listen, I'm not going to be here anymore. I don't want to, I'm not happy with the direction of the franchise. They haven't gotten out of the second round. Um, obviously the hardened domino is going to be the, the first domino to fall. Um, if that happens, then, you know, things can get interesting. And I, I obviously the Knicks um, have all these chips. If the, if the, if the Sixers want to rebuild, Knicks have young players and, and draft picks. Yeah. If the Sixers want to stay somewhat competitive and build around Maxi and Tobias Harris, et cetera, the Knicks have Randall and, and or Barrett and, and some other pieces that can contribute right away. So um, when you look at, you know, the Knicks, obviously in the market for a superstar and, you know, one if, if a said superstar becomes available and then you factor in the connection between Joel Embiid, who has been highly, highly complimentary of Leon Rose, obviously yes. his agent when he, when he was with CAA, these are all kind of pieces of a puzzle that, you know, if, you know, Nick fans looking forward and want to get optimistic and a lot of things kind of have to fall the right way. And again, it is unlikely, but if, you know, there's a reason why, you know, respected voices, not just internet guys like Zach Lowe, et cetera, um, have floated it out there. Um, is that because we would be derelict in our duty if we didn't at least discuss the possibility if things go again, if things go haywire and they're, you know, we'll see how Nick nurse, I think he's a good coach. Um, but he is, he is also known to wear his guys down. You know, Pascal Siakam has led the league in minutes played uh, the last two years. Part of that was lack of depth in Toronto. You'd assume he'd, they'd, you know, they'd be more careful with Embiid. Um, but again, something to keep an eye on, something to certainly be interested in. And then we'll talk about why I think it makes sense from a Knicks perspective. Um, but just, you know, just from that point of view in particular, um, we have to acknowledge the fact that there is a possibility this thing, that, you know, that this thing does have legs. So this was Joel Embiid when he talked about Leon Rose after he was hired by the Knicks. He said, quote, Leon is my guy. He's like family to me. When I heard the news, I was happy for him. He's cool. Being an agent for such a long time and getting a GM or a president job, I think is amazing. I'm so happy for him. I'm sure he'll do a good job over there. I think he's a great human being. He's going to do a great job. I talked about his representation. He said, Leon did a great job. It's always been a collective effort. Um, it's always Leon, but it was always up with other guys, too, regarding CAA. A lot of support there. So I'm happy that we've been able to they've been able to provide for me. So, I mean, this is a guy who was getting hired to be a, a president in his division. I mean, this is a guy who's being hired, you would think, to try to stop Joel Embiid and to try to move the Knicks beyond the Sixers in the hierarchy, in the pecking order of uh, of the Eastern Conference. So the fact that Joel Embiid was that excited about Leon Rose getting a job I think for one does tell tell how great a job Leon Rose did as an agent and why he was one mm -hmm. of the most uh, influential power brokers in the NBA from the agent side. But I do think it, it does uh, make the Knicks an interesting destination if Embiid would ask to leave. Now, the thing that 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 gives me skepticism regarding an Embiid Knicks trade, and maybe I'm naive because we've seen players kind of get to where they go, want to go for the most part. I feel like Kyrie is probably the only guy that didn't get to the place he wanted to go in terms of demanding a trade. Uh, will Philly really be interested in trading Joel Embiid, you know, right up to I-95, you know, an hour and a half away from Philadelphia and sending them to New York? I, that That's the one thing. Now, if the Knicks just blow them away with a million draft picks and they just have the best offer, then maybe it won't matter. But – Knowing who Daryl Morey is, and 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 after the Knicks went through the whole Donovan Mitchell fiasco last summer, uh, there's a part of me that does wonder if if 
Maury will be spiteful of Embiid if Embiid decides to say, hey, I, I think my time here in Philly is up and, I, and New York is the place I want to go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a legit question. Listen, they played hardball with Ben Simmons um, and, yep. and, you know, they, they, they kept him, you know, on the sideline for a while. You know, eventually they parted with him, but I just don't know if there's any other options that they can can kind of, you know, if, if you know, the Knicks can put together a good package, maybe not the best package in the NBA, but if Embiid, they're not going to trade Embiid to Detroit or, you know, you know, right. something like that. He's going to say, I have yeah. one of these three teams, and if the Knicks give that best package, then I think it makes sense. Now, you talked about um, why it would make sense for the Knicks with Embiid, that Embiid would, would be a worthwhile uh, target for the Knicks. We all know Embiid's a reigning MVP. He's one of the best players in the league. But there are some who say, look, there's a guy who's had injury problems. There's a guy who has not been able to take a team over the hump. So why do you feel like Embiid would be a worthwhile target for the Knicks? I just think you put Joel Embiid and Jalen Brunson together on, on uh, you know, as, as part of a pairing. That, 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 that combo has a chance to really make a run towards the NBA Finals. It's been a long time since the Knicks, you could say, the Knicks have a legitimate, you know, uh, aspirations, you know, realistic aspirations of making a run towards a championship. You put those two guys together with some solid complementary pieces. Nothing's guaranteed. Joel Embiid's injury history scary. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they're not perfect complements in terms of spacing and, and things along those lines. But Embiid can clear out and, you know, they can kind of, you know, go, that pick and roll will be nasty. Um, but that being said, I think that's the reason from a Knicks. Because listen, you're gonna have Knicks fans that say, "Listen, I'm not. I don't want to throw the the Godfather offer at him." Of of, of and and listen, make no mistake about it. Whatever you think the Knicks are gonna have to give up, it's more. It'll be you know, more. Like yeah. we're, we're starting with Randall, um, Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin. Um, you know, uh, some combination of those guys. Mitchell Robinson obviously would go back in the mix to, to Philadelphia. And then you start with the draft picks. All the draft picks the Knicks own, yeah. all the four draft picks that, that you know, that they possess going forward um, and, and potentially one or two others. You're probably looking at four or five first rounders. Um, again, so you're looking at Randall, Mitchell Robinson, um, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, Emmanuel quickly and or Quentin Grimes, and then the draft capital on top of that. So that's obviously a ton to give up. Um, you know, maybe include Fournier to kind of make the, the salaries work, depending on on how that that how that kind of settles out. Um, but again, there's an, an immense the, the the asking price, as it should be. For remember, only two MVPs in history have ever got traded prior to winning the MVP before the start of the next season: Moses Malone, 1982, and Will Chamberlain, yeah. 1968. It doesn't happen a lot. There's a reason for it. Is because you don't want to trade the best player in the, you know, one of the best players in the sport, especially not to a division rival. Um, again, that being said. Um, me personally, I'm willing to roll the dice. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. Listen, life is short. There's no guarantees on anything that, you know, that, that you build the right way and you're going to get a chance and, you know, eventually you have to go for a superstar. Um, history tells us you need a superstar to win a title. Um, can indeed be that guy. Nick fans that are, are against giving up everything will say he hasn't gotten out of the second round yet. I would counter mm -hmm. that by arguing he's had to rely on James Harden. He's had to rely on Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, and yeah. You, you pair Doc him Rivers, Brett Brown. Rivers as, as his coach, you know. Yeah. You know, so those are the things. So you take you pair him um, with, with Jalen Brunson, another top 10, top 15-ish um, playoff performer you're really cooking with gas and, and that that's interesting yeah i mean to me you're looking at what you're seeing in the nba finals with uh with with Jokic and murray in many ways like different kind of players but brunson 
and and Embiid would provide a lot of those same problems for opposing defenses. And when I watched uh, my that first series, and we'll we'll talk about Miami in a second. Like the one thing, the one player that Miami had trouble covering, they yep. they did a good job with Giannis. They did a good job with Jason Tatum. They did a good job with Jalen Brown. The one guy they had trouble covering was Jalen Brunson, and that's why I, I had trouble finding a way for Miami to win this series because, to me, it was like dealing with Jalen Brunson but then having Jokic out there because of how good Murray is and has been in the postseason. Yep. So if the Knicks can replicate that and bring that into the postseason, I, I think you're right. I think you're looking at a championship team, though I agree. What I think Knicks fans will have to understand is whatever trade this is, if it were to happen, is like a reboot of the team. So like yep. the concept of... Well, like, who can I hold on to? It it won't be you won't have you don't have a say in that to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, you won't like like you're gonna have to assume that when you make this trade, a you're gonna take back some scrub from Philly, yep. like uh, court mods or someone like that, and b you're gonna be trading a lot of your your role players, guys who have been rotation guys, and you're gonna have to add a bunch of guys, you know, on the veteran minimum market. Like you're gonna look like you know those Heat teams looked and like how those Laker teams have looked. Like you're gonna be getting guys kind of on the scrap heap to kind of fill the rest of that roster. So that that is the reality. But this is the price you pay when you get into this high leverage game of trying to trade for superstars. Right. You say, listen, Jalen Brunson's off the table, and then Philly takes what they want out of everyone right. else in the roster, whether it's RJ Barrett, Rant, whatever they want. They say these are the guys we need. Um, and then you, you know, and then 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 the Knicks can barter a little bit, say, no, we'll want to put protections on this pick, and you know, we'd prefer right. to give up IQ instead of Grimes or Grimes, you know, and then you kind of barter back and forth. But um, other than Brunson, um, you know, Sixers have their pick of the roster. Exactly. So uh <laughs> again, this Embiid thing is not going away. And the fact that the the fact that you know Nick Nurse is hired and Philly's kind of just moving along as if like nothing's gone wrong. I don't know. Something feels something feels weird there. Like the fact that all that's happening and that you still have reporters saying Knicks are keeping an eye on that situation. It tells me that there's some educated guesses coming from yes. the Knicks side that they know Embiid is not happy there. He's going to want to leave. What's interesting is Embiid loves Philadelphia and he really is like a man of the people. Yep. So I think when it comes to these things, oftentimes it's you know, do you kind of have the guts and do you have what it takes to say get me out of here? Like. I think in many ways, like if Donovan Mitchell would have came out in Utah and said, get me out of here and I want to go to the Knicks, it would have been a lot harder, I think, for Danny Ainge to send him somewhere else. Mitchell, you know, is, is and it doesn't mean you're a bad guy if you do say I went out, but Mitchell is a good guy. He's a guy who kind of plays by the book. He's a he's got a guy, he's a lot, a lot, guy with a lot of high character. He didn't want to be a guy who demanded a trade. He was just going to play right. wherever he want. He was, he was sent next year. Though. We know he wanted to go to the Knicks. Embiid will have a decision to make. Will he decide, hey, I'm just going to be hands off and let's just see what happens? Because that's good. I think Philly's just going to bring him back and nothing's going to happen. Nothing's gonna, nothing, there's going to be no situation. But if he does want to be a Nick and he does want to leave Philly, it's going to take him to come out and say, send me to this destination. And that's when the real talks can 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 fire off. And again, just on the, the kind of flip side of the coin, the last few teams that have traded – uh, for a superstar, uh, do they regret it? I, you know, do, do, would the Suns prefer? Are they still happy they traded four first round picks and Mikael Bridges and, and Cam Johnson for Kevin Durant? 
Eh? Yeah. Uh, the, the Nets obviously trading for James Harden was a massive failure. Um, you know, Bad move. Yeah. A terrible move, and you know the, the Rockets control their drafts going forward. Um, there's just there there's the, 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 there is some downside there. You know, we can go through the you know the obviously the yeah. The, I mean, the, the Lakers got a championship, but the it's Lakers been got a championship very a very weird tenure with AD. Weird tenure. Obviously, Gobert's not on a level of those guys, but the oh, Timberwolves. Yeah one of the worst trades in NBA history. Um, so there's there's something to be said there, you know, and that's from the Philly perspective too. Um, you're obviously, there is some injury concern there with Embiid. You know, do you, you know, the, the, is your, is your, obviously your ceiling's not as high if you trade Embiid for, you know, draft picks and, and, and talented young players and rookie contracts, et cetera. But your floor is a little bit safer, a little bit higher. You know, you kind of have the Knicks trajectory. Um, who knows? It's, it's, it's something to keep in mind. It is. It is for sure. Um, so let's sh- shift gears here and let's talk about the NBA finals. They are in the way. And it was the Nuggets who took care of business at home in game one. They beat the Miami Heat 104-93 to take a one nothing series lead. Nikola Jokic joined Jason Kidd as the only players in NBA history to record a triple-double in their finals debut. He led all scorers with 27 points to go along with 10 rebounds, 14 assists. Jamal Murray added, added 26 points. Aaron Gordon had 17. Meanwhile, for the Heat, Ben Matabayo led them with 26 points, but it was a slow night for Jimmy Butler, who finished with a quiet 13 points in this one. So, Tommy, how much do you attribute the Nuggets win to Denver's long layoff and long rest that they got and to Miami's fatigue in this game? Yeah, I think it certainly plays a factor. Um, but, you know, the, the Nuggets also had to overcome rust, you know, so there was, there was that kind of working against them, um, you know. Uh, but, you know, I think it did play a factor. And the other, obviously the other issue was the altitude um, that, yep. the, the, that that Miami has to deal with. It, it takes a lot of time to get used to it, even when you get used to it. You know, it's it's not like you're being there a couple of days. You're all of a sudden going to become accustomed to it. Um, there's a reason the, the Nuggets are undefeated in the postseason at home. Um, they haven't lost since March at home, two full months um, with, without wow. losing the game. Um, so I think all those factors certainly played into it as, as we discussed that the talent gap is significant. Um, uh, and uh, I think the, the heat have played, you know, uh, you know, the, um, kind of caught the, the bucks by surprise. They played a Celtics team that was, you know, teetering, you know, just a weird Celtics team that wasn't locked in and focused, um, this nuggets team, well coached, um, supremely talented, um, with the best player in the sport. Um, it's it's going to be a lot to overcome, and I think they needed to win Game One. Miami had won Game One in six previous series. They beat Milwaukee Game One. They beat the, they went to New York, beat the Knicks Game One, went to Boston, beat the Celtics in Game One. I thought they needed to win Game One in order to make yeah. this a series. Um, they're in trouble now, obviously, and uh, I think that's kind of what we expected. Yeah, they're in trouble. I, I agree, and usually I'm I, I'm not one to overreact to a Game One, but you get the Nuggets to make only eight of twenty seven. Uh, from three-point range, Michael Porter is 2 of 11 from three. And, you know, these numbers from Jokic and Murray are really good numbers and, and super high efficiency, but they weren't the insane, crazy numbers that they have put up in some of those games against the Lakers and against the Suns. So you have that kind of defensive performance and you lose by 11 points. You were pretty much not in the game for the majority of the game. That's a problem. And, and I do think that the fatigue to me, uh, played a factor. I thought early on Miami looked like they had heavy legs. Uh, you saw Max Schroes. Um, he was just uh, he was on a milk carton. I mean, the guy was over 10, over 9 from 3. 
He gave you nothing. Duncan Robinson put him on another milk carton. He was a non-factor in this game. And it just looked like both of those guys just didn't have the same legs in, in their jump shot that they normally do. Now, I think it's fitting that a guy like uh, Hayward Highsmith, who doesn't get a lot of minutes, who hasn't been playing a lot during this postseason, he's a guy who looked like the freshest guy in the heat. You know, he had 18 points. He had maybe the best game of his life. And he was a guy who had no problem with that altitude. But I think in part it was because he was not run through the ringer of those other series that have been played. He hadn't played in every game in these series. He hasn't played big minutes. And I think it was actually smart for Spo to see that he kind of was the only guy giving them any energy and it just let him ride him off the rest of the fourth quarter. And uh, it, they, it paid dividends. But the Heat, I thought I thought Denver was smart in how they played their pick and roll coverages. In, to, in some ways, I think they kind of implored the Thibodeau model of playing a lot of drop, but they were much better in their rotations because – they were allowing Bam Adebayo to get his. And Bam Adebayo, 26 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. But the Heat can't – I don't think they can beat the Nuggets in any game that Bam Adebayo shoots 25 shots. Um, he doesn't draw enough free throws. That was a whole huge, huge issue in this game. The Heat shot two free throws for the entire game, which sounds inexplicable. But when you watch how they play, they took a lot of mid-range jumpers, a lot of threes. They took 39 threes in this game. Like, if you're not driving to the paint, to the paint, you're not going to get fouled. So I'm sure this should took more than two, but I didn't watch that game thinking, oh, man, he'd be getting robbed by the refs. I was, I, It wasn't until, like, the third quarter. I was like, oh, my God, they only shot two free throws. How does that happen? How does that happen? So I, I thought that the Nuggets really did a, a smart job saying, hey, we need to stop Jimmy Butler, double him when we can, but in smart ways, not just throwing at running guys at him at the three-point line, usually around the mid-range area. And we're going to play our pick-and-roll coverages where we're going to, you know, stunt at Bam, and a lot of those dump-off passes, but we're not going to uh, collapse to him so that they can allow these three-point shooters. And if he has a 30-point game, he he takes 25 shots, so be it, because he's not going to beat you with free throws. He's not going to beat you with three-pointers. So those are all two-pointers. He scored 26 points on 25 shots. Denver will take that all day. So if you're the Miami Heat, you're going to have to find a way to unlock these shooters because I thought the Nuggets did a really good job of making sure that the Heat didn't kill them from three. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's and, and it's something we talked about. Like the, the scary thing is the Heat didn't play a bad game. You know, like um, they limited their turnovers, uh, had more offensive rebounds, um, you know, like more second chance points. So so there, there was there was some positives that they work with there. Um, but sometimes it's just a make or miss league. If they if Struess is 0 for 10, 0 for 9 from three, they, they can't win. You know, if, yeah. If, uh, if Duncan Robinson is Duncan Robinson and Struess and, and some of their other shooters are knocking down threes. They just don't have the team. They, they don't have the ability to compete with a, a juggernaut like the Nuggets. Yeah, and and to me, this game was evident to me that Jimmy Butler needs to be superhuman if they're going to yes. win. Like, like that game he had last night is just not going to cut it. Uh, it wasn't like it was the worst game he's ever played. He did have right. seven assists and seven rebounds. He found a way to put some impact on the game, but he he's got to be able to do more. And KCP as a, as a defender, individual defender, I think he's on the rated. I think he's one of the best guys in the league. He is smaller than Jimmy Butler though, so. Uh, I, I would expect maybe the Jimmy to kind of impose as well, maybe a little bit in this next game, get himself on the block and some easy basket, easy shots around the basket to maybe get him going. He was operating a lot further from the basket that he probably he would have wanted to. I also thought in this game, Aaron Gordon to me really kind of set the tone early. Yeah. I mean, yep. he was, it was like, it was almost like a, you know, 
giving your giving the ball to your running back, you know, your 230 pound running back, him just like trucking people the first three or four possessions yep. and getting 15 yards. And you're like, oof, this might be a long night. Like, I think he punched Miami in the face in a way that just the Heat hadn't seen in game one at any point in these playoffs. Like, you know, the Knicks, they survived the early run there. Against Milwaukee, they were the aggressor. Um, against against Boston, they were the aggressors. So I think that kind of put them on their heels immediately, and they were kind of uh, playing uphill from there. Yeah, I think it's like and, – and plus when you give your bell cow back, you know, a lot of touches and first down, seven yards, six yards, first down, eight yards. Yeah. It gets the offensive line, gets them involved, gets them chirping, and just kind of, you know, just builds and breeds confidence. Like if you can physically dominate a team – um, like you said, if you punch a team in the face right away, that, that sends a strong message. And I thought that's what the, the, the Nuggets did, courtesy Aaron Gordon, just bullying Gabe Vincent time and time again. Yeah, so uh, the Nuggets win this one. I was about to say Knicks win this one. We're so used to doing Knicks recaps. Nuggets win this one, 104-93. Uh, they win game one, game two on Sunday. So uh, let's uh, close the show talking about a classic moment that cemented a classic rivalry. So it is another edition of This Week in Knicks History. And today we remember one of the most hated villains in Knicks lore, Reggie Miller. It was on June 1st, 1994, that Miller scored 25 points in the fourth quarter to lead the Pacers to a Game 5 win over the Knicks in the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals. Miller finished the game with 39 points and had the infamous moment uh, trash talking Spike Lee, where he, uh, you know, does the choke sign over his neck and grabs his crotch as right as uh, him and Lee were on back and forth for most of that fourth quarter. The Knicks, by many accounts, for a lot of people who were covering the team during that time and covering the NBA, they were left for dead after losing that game five. And sometimes when you think about history, you would thought the Pacers would have won that series given how much that game gets talked about and played. But uh, the Knicks actually would go into Indiana win a game six, a big performance from John Starks then, and then come back home and win game seven back at Madison Square Garden to clinch a trip to the NBA Finals. So uh, the series between the Knicks and Pacers, that was the second one in three straight years of matchups in the postseason. What do you remember most about that game in particular, Tommy? Uh, I remember being upset. It was a Wednesday night <laughs> That, that that game five um and 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 really feeling like again gotta remember the context the Knicks were on the, the verge of the NBA finals you know um without Jordan this was their unquestionably obviously their best chance to, they just beaten the Bulls in the second round um yeah. in a tough seven game series um series tied at 2-2 and, and Reggie explodes um but having faith that this team was was smart enough strong enough tough enough um, and 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 be, having the belief that those guys could go into Indiana and get a W, and that's exactly what they did. Friday night, two nights later, um, I, I, personally my favorite John Starks game. You know, we talked about the dunk, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that game six in Indiana, um, again for Mister Clutch Reggie Miller, he had the the NBA Finals on a silver platter. It wasn't just the Knicks' best chance to win an NBA championship; it was the Pacers' best chance to win an NBA yeah, championship sure. because they had to deal with the Bulls as well and the Knicks. Starks goes into Indiana, 26 points on 8 of 11 shooting, 5 of 6 from 3, 6 assists, 3 steals. Um, Mr. Miller, on the other hand, 8 of 21 from the floor, 2 of 7 from downtown, 9 of 12 from the free throw line, um, 3 turnovers. Um, outplayed by John Starks, no other way to put it. 
Um, Spike was actually sitting uh, on the uh, on the sideline yeah, in Indiana. Um, Starks walking off the walking off the court, you know, pointing to his chest um, after the game. Um, See you guys on Sunday was the was the quotes from from many of the Knicks, including Patrick Ewing. And my goodness, did Patrick Ewing deliver um, in Game Seven? And arguably the the, the biggest game of the, the best game of his career. Um, you know that that Game Seven win over Indiana, ninety four ninety. Patrick scores twenty four points. Um, grabs 22 rebounds, dishes out seven assists, blocks five shots. Um, just a quintessential Patrick Ewing game. Um, so it, yeah, I mean, yeah, you you mentioned it. Like Reggie Miller's a villain, you know, in in in, the, in Nick's lore. Um, but to me, it's uh, you, you, if you look at things in context, he you know, when the when the in the biggest spots, the biggest moments, he didn't deliver. Whereas uh, right. the Knicks and, and Starks did. So I think that it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Um, I think of uh, uh, the, the the grander conversation, but Nick fans certainly remember that Game Six and that Game Seven from that series. So so. My question is, why do you feel like there is this different attitude towards Reggie Miller as opposed to Patrick Ewing? Is it because Miller has these, I guess, these moments where he's hit these big shots against the Knicks? Because these are two guys who never won a title, uh, guys who came up short in the end. But for some reason, like Ewing gets this kind of thing, oh, he didn't get it done when it mattered most and he choked when it mattered most. But Reggie Miller, he gets this praise as this ultimate clutch player, this guy who carried his team on his back. And, you know, the only reason why he didn't win because he didn't have enough help. Like, why do you feel like that dichotomy exists between uh, Reggie and Patrick? It's a great question, EJ, and it's one I've kind of dedicated uh, uh, my Twitter existence to, as you know, is the, is the constantly pointing out the hypocrisy there of Reggie Miller being Mr. Clutch and Patrick Ewing being a choke artist when in reality um, it, things couldn't be further from the truth. Um, or I shouldn't say further, it couldn't be further from the truth, but just there's there's a lot more there. There's a lot more substance yeah. and, 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 and personally they Patrick's career is far superior to Reggie's, especially in – I mean, 24, 22, 7, 5 in a right. game seven. Show me where Reggie Miller approached that in an Eastern Conference Finals game seven. Um, but I, I, it, to, to directly answer your question, I think a lot of it has to do with – I relate it back to some of the talk coming into this finals. Casual fans aren't going to tune in. It's not an exciting NBA finals. Um, it's boring. The, the Nuggets, you can't embrace them. I, I disagree. I, I think they play a beautiful brand of basketball. I think Jokic's story is incredible, but he doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't, you know, he's not flamboyant. He's not going to give choke signs. He's not going to, you know, get in Reggie <laughs> Miller's face or some other, you know, Laker fan's face. Um, he's yeah. not going to, you know, uh, say crazy stuff on in post-game press conferences. He's not going to do anything wild on social media. He's just going to go about his day, live his life. And, and you know, and Patrick Ewing was the same way a little bit rigid with the media a lot had to do with the incredible racial animosity he dealt with uh coming up as jamaican immigrant in 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 uh, on the northeast in boston absolutely people at georgetown holding throwing bananas at him you know yeah. all this stuff kind of you know it, it factors into the the person and the player that you know he's and and as a result he was standoffish with general you know he built a wall up against general and public a lot of that had to do with uh, and that kind of manifested itself in his relationship with the media to his credit he never ducked press conferences he always answered questions he wasn't as um you know eloquent as maybe as you would like he wasn't as silly or goofy or funny as reggie miller um, but I think a lot of that, you know, and then, and then plus you get kind of the Goliath against the, you know, the Reggie Miller kind of the, they're the underdog from the Midwest. 
Um, and they were kind of embraced as media darlings, hoping to knock off this big, bad, brutish, bully, Pat Riley, Patrick Ewing, yeah. you know, kind of juggernaut. So I think a lot of that kind of played into, um, you know, a lot of the non-partial, non-New Yorkers. And I've learned this as I kind of got older because I asked myself those same questions. And, and being around the league for 15, 20 years now, I have a broader context that I can see kind of outside my insulated New York bubble. It's, you know, there's there's certain players kind of embrace the, 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 the public's imagination. So they're going to generate a lot kinder response. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with um, how we look in, in retrospect in their careers. A lot of people were hoping Patrick Ewing would fail. And a lot of people were rooting for Reggie Miller to succeed because we would get this standoff with uh, Spike Lee. That Even the New York tabloids ate it up and loved it. Um, oh, yeah. Patrick Ewing playing well and doing kind of boring, you know, pump fake shots is not as exciting as Reggie Miller shooting threes and theatrics and the drama that was involved there. So I, 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 it's a, it's an interesting question to kind of analyze, but I think that's kind of has a lot to do with it. I think that a lot of that is, is really true when it comes to the, the dichotomy between Patrick and Reggie. I think, you know, Reggie has made a successful career in the TV business as well. Yeah. And that that has allowed him to, uh, continue to kind of talk about these stories. And and again, I think for a lot of people, they don't right, maybe know the history of how those Knicks Pacers series went most of the time. The Knicks won most of them. Um, I, I do want to, want to, want to play uh, some of the, the last moments in that game with Reggie Miller going off in uh, game five. This is of course um, the great Marv Robert on the call uh, talking about the game, uh, game five. Uh, this is the Eastern Conference Finals between the Knicks and the Pacers. Has been a major factor. Miller open again. His foot on the line. That's a two-pointer. And Reggie Miller in an animated discussion with Spike Lee, who is an ardent Knicks fan and has a courtside seat. I think Spike has... Reggie uh, Miller to losing John Starks this time for the wide open shot. His right foot was on the line, and Reggie will have something to say to Spike Lee. A 12-2 run now by the Pacers as Pat Riley after that timeout came out with Derek Harper and John Starks not happy at all with the way Greg Anthony and Hubert Davis were defending. And Reggie Miller has accounted for 10 of the 12 Indiana points here in the fourth quarter. Reggie Miller giving the choke side to Spike Lee. Spike is appealing to the official Dan Crawford. I don't think that Spike realizes he's not in the game. <laughs> listen, Mike not realize he's not part of the game there. <laughs> it was great theater. There's no two ways Absolutely. about it. Like even on even on the uh, on the abusive side of, of that relationship, it was at least there's no denying that it was you know that it was it was great theater, great theatrics. Yeah, and, and and shout out to Spike Lee for playing a part in that. I think in many ways, like you know, Spike Lee is an awesome director, one of the greatest filmmakers of his generation, of course. But I think that this series, these games with the, the Pacers, absolutely elevated his profile as well. A lot of people, uh, maybe who would not have gone to see his movies, became familiar with Spike Lee, you know, because of him being the Super Knicks fan sitting front row. And it's funny watching the clips of this these games, like. Spike looks totally different 
in terms of like the stuff he's wearing. Like there, I think he's wearing like just like a some regular clothes. Like maybe he's wearing like a uh, maybe like a Jackie Robinson jersey, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like you know, jersey, yeah. yeah. But like if you watch these, you will see him now. He looks like the you know the Garden Court gesture. I mean, he's got the blue and orange glasses. He's got like a blue jacket with orange pants. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and a Knicks jersey with a Knicks hat on. Like he, he like it's. It's totally different. Like there, he looks kind of like a normal person who maybe normal celebrity who went to a game, and then now he goes there and he's like, you know, like the guy in, in L.A. Clipper Darrow. He's like, you know, he's like Nick Spike with all the different stuff he's wearing. So I always find that funny, um, seeing how much Spike has changed in terms of how much he's embraced being, you know, the the unofficial mascot of uh, of uh, of um of the Knicks. Yeah, I mean those that that pace of rivalry, it, it is special. You know, there's no question about it. Like. You know, I, I grew up as a kid being too young to really remember these games in this series. But then coming into 99, 2000, where like it's, it felt like the rivalry kind of got heightened back up again because the Knicks and Pacers once again find themselves at the height of the Eastern Conference. Both teams competing for Eastern Conference finals back to back years and so much of that history that was instilled and it was shown over and over again already hitting these big shots. It made it added some juice to the to the late '90s Knicks as well. I think the fact that they had a familiar opponent they were going up against for a lot of Knicks fans, even though some of the names uh, changed. But it is important to note the Knicks found a way to win that series. They won in '93. They beat them in '94, '95. Pacers got uh, got got their win in Game Seven, and that was of course the end of the Pat Riley era with the Knicks. So uh, it's fun to talk about. Uh, shout out to. Uh, I guess Reggie Miller. I did think it was funny that you know the Pacers posted the picture, the Twitter, the team's Twitter account was the picture, and then it was just flooded with Nick fans saying, "You lost, you lost that series, you lost." And it, it kind of reminds me, like we were talking about this on actually, um, I think I was talking about it on uh, the DA show, and this was actually with Sean Marash and Andrew Bogus. Like there are so many moments in NBA history where that are kind of forgotten because teams didn't win championships or or didn't win even that series. And we talked about Derek White maybe being one of those moments. It's interesting how Reggie Miller, that game and that choke sign does not get associated with them losing. And it's not forgotten. Like we right. still think about that as one of these all-time NBA moments. And, and perhaps it's like you mentioned, a lot of the racial dichotomy happening with you know, people not liking Patrick Ewing. Uh, people want to root for the, the Midwestern underdog. But it's it's fascinating that the Reggie Miller thing, doesn't matter how the story ended, that moment in the story still uh, has resonated with NBA fans for generations now. Yeah, I think, you know, unlike the the Andy Chavez catch and, you know, some of the other right. moments, at least the Pacers did win that game, so you obviously give give Reggie credit for that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just in, in terms of the of the series, et cetera, um, that, yeah, I, I, again, I, I think, you know, um, I think and, and one of the reasons I think there was kind of such the, the animosity between Nick fans and Reggie Miller was because, like, obviously they hated Michael Jordan because he broke their heart again and again and again. But you respected Michael Jordan just because of the way, he you know, the, the, as talented right. as he was and he got the job done. And he would go on to not only beat the Knicks, but he, you know, win the championship, and you know, kind of made you feel like he got eliminated by the by the eventual champion. There, there wasn't that same level of respect for Reggie Miller, the player, kind of a flopper. Yeah. Um, you know, Reggie Miller had only made one All Star game prior to this game. <laughs> one All Star game his entire career up until that point. 
it's amazing. Like, you, 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 you know, um, yeah, you look at his numbers and, and I've written about this. Actually, I'll, I'll pull up the file. Anyone that that's interested, um, hit me up. I forgot even what outlet I wrote it for, but I just talked about how he's one of the most overrated players in NBA history. I mean, his career points per game average, his field goal percentage, you know, just you, you think of this out, you know, and again, I think a lot of it has to do with he's on TNT and he's become a yeah. celebrity. A lot of that has to do with Spike and they it, both. He has a three point record for a long time. I think that, that goes a long way as well. Totally. He was kind of the, the, the forefather of, of the three-point gunners um and he was better suited to play in today's nba that you know the, yeah definitely back in those days um but uh yeah but uh you know for all those different reasons he's kind of looked at as this legendary mythic figure um and i think it bothers nick fans that you know that ewing isn't isn't kind of held to the same standard um and not respected and in, in, in revered in the same way so i think that is one of the reasons that kind of um you know that that, that kind of festered in the relationship between the two yeah, only uh, three All NBA teams is never made it more than the third team. I mean, think about it. Julius Randle's already made, already made, already made two, and he's already been a second All NBA player. If you told somebody that he's on, you know, he's on a path to have a career similar to Reggie Miller, you know, they would look at you like you were on Mars. But yep, yep. Uh, this this is it's a very interesting thing thing about Mr. Reggie Miller. But that will do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods. Thank you guys so much again for checking out this episode. Of course. You can get all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on the streaming service to get the episodes every time we drop. We'll be back next week with more episodes of Orange and Blue Bloods. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. You can find us on the Odyssey Sports and WFAN channel. Tommy, let people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram, and check out also New Generation Media, uh, my YouTube channel. I do a lot of draft coverage. We're dropping new content for this month for the NBA Draft. Make sure you check that out as well. You can find that on YouTube. So thank you guys again so much for checking us out. Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.